Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. I'd like to welcome you all back to the Footballers Family Podcast. This is Jeremy McFarland coming to you from Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, on a day that started out 73 degrees and may snow in just a little bit. If you don't like the weather in the south, just wait a few minutes and it will change for you. But overall, it's a beautiful day, and I hope y'all are enjoying yourself. And wherever you may be, I hope you are taking advantage of the great weather and, and also letting people know how you feel about them. We're not promised tomorrow, so take advantage of the time that you got. I had a big plan today for this podcast. I was going to do a mock draft, and we may do one next week. But then I started to think, well, what if I take every draft pick one through 32 for the first round, and then rate which one was the worst and which one was the best. And then I started thinking, boy, that is a lot of draft picks to look through. So I narrowed it down. I narrowed it down from 1980 to 2020 because the draft, as of recording this, the draft is about a week and a couple of days away. And I thought, no, I want to be positive. I don't want to look at the worst draft picks because when I was reading over these draft picks for these uh, 40 years almost of, of draft picks, there were a lot of people that were just a little bit less than good. How about, how about that? How about we call it that? So I said, why don't I take positions one through 32 and look at the best ones? Look at when they were drafted and the team that drafted him. And we look at the best per position of the NFL draft first round from 1980 to 2020. So that's what we're going to do today. And again, this is my opinion. Uh, if you disagree, which is fine, please let me know. You can message me at on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarland or on the Footballers Family Facebook page. And make sure that you like and review this podcast on your podcaster of choice. Also, you can go on the sportshistorynetwork.com and look at many other great podcasts that we have to offer. And I do also want to throw out a, uh, an ad here for a great organization called newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you are probably a sports history fan. And if you're into sports history, you need to check out sports or check out the newspapers.com. At newspapers.com, you can get access to 640 million pages worth of news from the U.S., Canada, Scotland, England, Ireland, and more dating back from 1798 to yesterday. You can get a free week subscription to newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com backslash newspapers. And with a paid subscription, you will help the production of this and other Sports History Network shows. That is newspaper, 
newspapers.com, but please go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers to let them know you came through this podcast or another podcast from the Sports History Network. Now, again, this is my opinion of the best players picked in the first round from 1980 through 2020 per pick. And again, there's there's a lot of great players. Of course, there's a lot of less than good players, but there are a lot of great players picked. So it's kind of hard for me to pick, but I'll give you my opinion. Number one overall, and I don't really think there's any doubt, even though I think John Elway is probably my favorite player of all time, but Peyton Manning. 1998 was picked by the Colts. He is uh, Mr. NFL, probably the greatest quarterback of all time. I guess Tom Brady might be in that consideration too, but Peyton Manning. Second overall, to me, this man changed the way we view linebackers, and that is Lawrence Taylor, drafted out of North Carolina, 1981, by the New York Giants. You had to plan your offense and your protection around Lawrence Taylor. Before that, you had some great middle linebackers, but he was more of an outside linebacker in a lot of ways. You had to plan your defense or or offense around where Lawrence Taylor was. Number three, probably the greatest running back of all time, uh, Barry Sanders. You say, well, he doesn't have the records. Barry Sanders did things that Walter Payton and Emmitt Smith could not do. Barry Sanders had – so much mobility, so much uh, wiggle that uh, he, he was just an amazing runner, an amazing athlete, and he retired before his time. I think he could have broken uh, Walter Payton's record without any problem and probably would have been the top running back uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to yardage, and I think he could have beaten Emmett Smith's record that he has right now. But Barry Sanders retired before time, before he, he probably should have. Um, Little little bit of a, a a shout out here to my man Steve McNair. He was also drafted third overall in 1995 by the Houston Oilers. The fourth overall pick, to me, the best one, Derek Thomas. Now, by the way, these four that I just mentioned, other than Steve McNair, are Hall of Famers: Barry Sanders, Lawrence Taylor, Peyton Manning, Derek Thomas, 1989 by the Chiefs. Derek Thomas was not a force of nature like Lawrence Taylor. But overall, I think he was a better player than Lawrence Taylor. He could cover. He could he could hit seven sacks in one game. I believe Steve Big, Steve DeBerg was the was the tackling dummy that day, if I remember correctly. I might be off on that, but uh, you know, you, you think about Derek Thomas taken before his time uh, by car wreck. But Derek Thomas was a defense in and of himself. Great play. Fifth overall, Deion Sanders from 1989. Now notice those three players back to back to back, all 1989. The second player taken in the 1989 pick uh, draft was Tody Mandrich, who was apparently supposed to be the greatest offensive lineman of all time. It turned out to be a major league bust. Who was the first taken? Troy Aikman. So Green Bay Packers got pushed back several years because of that pick. There were four Hall of Famers and then Tony Mandridge. But anyway, Deion Sanders, 1989 by the Falcons. Now, we don't always think of him by the Falcons, but he brought in a brashness and a flair that changed the NFL at that point. You had MC Hammer. Now, if you don't know who MC Hammer is, 
uh, talk to your parents, they could probably tell you who he is. Uh, but he brought that type of brashness and that type of style to Atlanta that really did change that, uh, that city uh, for the good, in my opinion. Now, this one right here, sixth overall. I actually got to meet this man in Aliceville, Alabama. I used to work in Aliceville, Alabama. He's from there. Uh, Walter Jones, Hall of Famer, was drafted in 1997 by the Seattle Seahawks. You don't really hear or get a lot of love to offensive linemen, but if you wanted to be protected, you wanted Walter Jones there. He was a rock on the offensive line, probably one of the best offensive linemen of all time. If I had to have five offensive linemen to start a team, Walter Jones, Bruce Matthews, uh, probably Mar uh, Marquise Pouncey, uh, people like that would be my offensive line. Uh, I, if you, you don't really watch the offensive line when it comes to how they play, but Walter Jones, you didn't hear a, a lot about Walter Jones. And that's because he was really never beaten off the edge. If you don't hear a lot about it, about offensive linemen, that means they're doing their job. I heard somebody say that, uh, you know, a pit crew boss, if he says that if they don't hear anything from their driver, that means the driver's happy. If you don't hear anything about offensive line, that means the quarterback's happy. Walter Jones made them happy. Number seven, Champ Bailey, 1999, Washington Redskins. He's a Hall of Famer, too. Lockdown, shutdown corner. That man right there. And, and I really started to follow him a lot when he was with the Broncos. That, the Champ Bailey, to me, is one of my favorite players of all time. Ronnie Lott, number eight. Ronnie Lott. 1981, Hall of Famer, was drafted by the 49ers. Uh, Ronnie Lott was a beast. Uh, don't go over the middle with Ronnie Lott by. Ronnie Lott was so dialed in when it came to football that the story says that uh, his story is told and it's true that he basically got his finger cut off to play in a game. Now, I'm not going to go into the graphic details of this, but this tells you this man is RoboCop type stuff. He is. He is dialed in, and he helped them win Super Bowls. Ronnie Lott was one of the best safeties you'll ever see. No, number nine, I got to meet this man too, uh, Bruce Matthews. Now, if you don't know who Bruce Matthews is, he was drafted in 1983, the year of the quarterbacks in Daryl Green. Uh, Bruce Matthews, drafted out of USC, was drafted by the Oilers. The one thing about Bruce Matthews that you can say was he's durable. He didn't miss games. But if you had to say something else, he was versatile. He played every position on the offensive line at one point. And he was so good that if somebody was out, they could put Bruce Matthews in that position and he could pick it up so quickly. Now, like I said, I got to meet this man and, and I was talking to my dad who was with me. And I said, I want you to look at how he walks. You could, I was several feet away and you can hear his knees. And I said, that comes from being um, hit numerous times on your knees, you know, being basically blocked from your knees. Uh, but in his day, Bruce Matthews was one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. Number 10, Marcus Allen, Hall of Famer, 1982, Oakland Raiders. Now, Marcus Allen really was, uh, you know, he was the MVP in the Super Bowl. He was, he was a, 
basically he was he he was a video game player before the video games really were big. You know, you think of uh, you think of how you can move people and do the jukes on Madden. This was Marcus Allen. You need to watch him uh, uh, watch his Super Bowl playing uh, playing against the Redskins. Just how great of a turn and how great he could cut and move to another level before the defense could even uh, could even uh, react. Problem is, uh, Al Davis and him didn't get along. And Al Davis brought in a man named Bo Jackson to basically take his spot. Bo Jackson was one of my favorite players as well. But Marcus Allen is really underrated and left the Raiders to go to the Chiefs and did great there too. Marcus Allen deserves his position at number 10 overall. Number 11, this guy is going to be a future Hall of Famer. That is J.J. Watt, 2011 Texans. Um, I've seen him several times play my Titans. Uh, <clears throat> I'm kind of glad he's out of the AFC South. Uh, I don't think it would be right seeing him in anything but a Houston, Texas jersey. Uh, but J.J. Watt is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Now, my personal opinion, 2006, Jay Cutler was drafted by the Broncos. But, you know, he's not J.J. Watt. 12th overall. I remember this one in particular. Uh, Warren Sapp. He was drafted 95 by the Bucs. Um, he dropped. Uh, they said that he had some drug. Uh, you know, people, people were talking about drugs with him. And he dropped, and he probably should have gone to the to the Jets, but they picked a Brady. They picked Kyle Brady instead of Warren Sapp. Number 13, Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer as well, uh, 1997 Chiefs. Uh, Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates really changed the way we look at uh, tight ends. For the most part, tight ends were uh, – Kellen Winslow changed things, but these two men really, really brought in the, the Rob Minkowski-type men today. Uh, they were athletes. Uh, Antonio Gates played basketball. Tony Gonzalez was an athlete who played tight end. He can catch. He can block. He was a deep threat. He was an over-the-middle threat. He could do it all. And he was drafted by the Chiefs, later on played for the Falcons. But when I remember him playing for the Chiefs, that guy was about unguardable. Tony Gonzalez, number 13. Darrell Rivas, number 14. Hall of Famer, 2007, by the, by the Jets. Uh, Darrell Rivas was a type of guy that we – if you ever heard of Rivas Island, Darrell Rivas was the kind of guy that – you didn't throw to his side of the field. He was a, a great player in his heyday and was one of those guys that when you would watch him play, he would bait you. You think, well, I can slip this pass in. He was, he was unnaturally quick. You have speed, but you all have quickness. He would bait you into throwing the ball and all of a sudden, there it is, and, and he's got it. And there's a commercial that I thought was funny where they basically had Darrell Rivas build a little island in the middle of a building, and he put a palm tree there, and he said, Rivas Island. Darrell Rivas, Darrell Rivas is, was one of those guys that uh, you were good, glad to have him on your team. Now, also, my personal favorite, though, 1996, Eddie George was drafted by the Oilers. He should be in the Hall of Fame. The 15th, Jason Pierre-Paul, 2010. New York Giants. He won a Super Bowl last year. 
one of the better defensive linemen that you'll find today, Jason Pierre, uh, Jason Pierre Paul. 16th, Jerry Rice. Now, there's no doubt here. 1985, 49ers. Um, recently, Randy Moss and him had it back and forth. Who was the GOAT? Uh, Randy, you need to sit down. Uh, and when Jerry Rice comes into the room, you kiss his rings. Uh, Jerry Rice is probably the be- one of the best players of all time. Definitely the best wide receiver of all time. Now, here's some fun parts, because this kind of got into a little bit of you had to pick, because some of these later positions really didn't have a lot of well-known players. Number 17 did, and that's Emmett Smith, 1990 Cowboys Hall of Famer. Um, I don't think he's the greatest running back of all time. I think it's either Barry Sanders or Walter Payton, Barry Sanders in my book, at least. But Emmett Smith um, shows how you can run downhill and use your size as your for, to your advantage. He wasn't a big guy, but he was stoutly built. He still is stoutly built. And he was tough. There's a story about him when he basically dislocated his shoulder in, a, I believe, a playoff game. And he said that every time he would get hit, he heard it cracking. And, of course, me thinking about it right now since shivers, I don't like that. But Emmett Smith, uh, number one, Emmett Smith should never have been a Cardinal. He retired as a Cardinal. Uh, but number two, when you look at the record books, Emmett Smith is going to be there until kingdom come. Emmett Smith, his records will not be touched. I like to think Derrick Henry could do this, but – Running backs now are not valued like they were in the 90s. And number two, I think he, he has over 16,000 yards. That's insane. That's insane. You have to have longevity. You have to have health. And you also have to have a running, a coach that, that emphasizes running. And now you have a coach that emphasizes passing and maybe running if you have a bell cow like a Derrick Henry. Emmett Smith was the Cowboys in the 90s. You know, you had Michael Irvin, you had Troy Aikman, but it was Emmett Smith's team. 18th, Art Monk, 1990 or 1980, I should say, Washington Redskins, Hall of Famer. He was um, Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice. Art Monk was almost unstoppable. He held records until Jerry Rice came in and took it, and Reggie Wayne came in and took it. And then uh, you know, he had records that uh, when you look at the catches, you look at the uh, Marvin Harrison as well. You look at how they could catch that they beat Art Monk's record. But Art Monk was Jerry Rice before Jerry Rice. Number 19. This is the one where I had a little bit of issue. Uh, I picked Sean Alexander, 2000 uh, Seahawks. I probably picked it because I'm a homer with the Crimson Tide. Uh, Sean Alexander. Didn't have a long career, but he was fruitful with his career. Also, I had it. If if Jeffrey Simmons becomes a player, I think he is going to be. He will eclipse uh, Sean Alexander. Uh, Jer- Jeffrey Simmons only been playing for a couple of years, so I couldn't put him above Sean Alexander. 20, Steve Atwater, Hall of Famer, 1989 by my Broncos. I remember this. Uh, good luck going over the middle. Good luck going deep with Steve Atwater, you're going to be harpooned. 
Steve Atwater was one of the toughest players you will ever play against. 21, I picked Tim McGee, 1986 Bengals. I remember watching him play um, in the Super Bowls. I watched him play. I was a Bengals fan for, for a little bit because I like Boomer Sison. I like Icky Woods, James Brooks, those types kind of guys. Tim McGee was a solid uh, quarterback, or excuse me, a wide receiver, very solid wide receiver. 23, uh, 22, Demarius Thomas, 2010 Denver Broncos. This guy could catch everything, lights out type of catcher. He was a great uh, wide receiver. 23, Deuce McAllister, 2001, the Saints. Um, this was kind of a hard one to pick because two, 23 really didn't have a lot of guys that would jump out. But I remember watching Deuce McAllister play, and I remember how the Saints really did rely upon him as a running back. Speaking of the Saints, 24, Cameron Jordan. He's still playing now, 2011. Um, Cameron Jordan, to me, I, if I had to start a team, Cameron Jordan would be on it. Great defensive player, a sack artist. He is a guy that the Saints rely upon, and they should because he's an amazing player. 25, Santonio Holmes, 2006 by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Made great catches in the Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger relied upon him. I think that's a pretty much a given 25 over uh, the 25th pick, Santonio Holmes. 26, Ray Lewis, Hall of Famer, uh, 1996, the Ravens. Um, in that year, the Ravens picked two uh, Hall of Famers, and one of them was Ray Lewis, uh, middle linebacker. Good luck getting over the middle. He was a great hitter, great defensive player, could cover, um, was a great tackler. You didn't get past Ray Lewis. 27. This guy gets overlooked uh, because he never won a ring, but Dan Marino. Before Peyton Manning, before Brett Favre, before Tom Brady, there was Dan Marino. Well, what did Dan Marino do? He was the first to pass over 4,000 yards. He had the um, he had the offensive uh, the the touchdown record before uh, Peyton took it and Tom took it and you know so it, it was Dan Marino. It was Dan Marino. He only went to one Super Bowl, lost it. Should have been to more if they gave him some more. Uh, if they gave him a running game, I think just like with John Elway with Terrell Davis, if they gave Dan Marino a running game, he would have won a Super Bowl or two. This guy right here, number 28, I got to meet him as well. Daryl Green, uh, Hall of Famer, 1983, Redskins. You look at him, you think, what, what can this guy do? He was the fastest guy. He's still up in his 40s, could outrun guys in his 20s. Now. Fastest guy. He didn't have to bait you into throwing. He would just basically say, do it. I'm not going to trick you. Do it. And he would pick you off and then look at you as he's running to the end zone and just basically saying, hurry up, catch me. Longevity, great player. He was tenacious, good guy too. And that's the one thing about Daryl Green that I really enjoy. Uh, 29, I have Nick Mango. He played for the Jets. 2006 was drafted great center. 30, I had Reggie Wayne, 2001 Colts. Him and Marvin Harrison really did help Peyton Manning out, especially early on in Peyton Manning's career. This one, number 31, I enjoy because I like watching him. Namdi Asenwa, 2003 Raiders. 
really kind of got underrated because of uh, because of some other people around him, especially Darrell Rivas about that same time. Nandi Asamoa uh, shut down corner for several years. Raiders enjoyed his company, definitely. 32, and the last one for today. And I know um, if you got anybody else you want to add or you think I'm wrong or if you, if you just say, Jeremy, you just don't know what you're talking about, please let me know. I really want to know because this is fun for me. But 32 is probably uh, – he definitely is a Hall of Famer, and he's probably one of my favorite players, and that's Drew Brees. And you think about it, in that draft in, in, uh, in that draft in 2001, the Chargers got LT, LaDainian Thomason, and then they got Drew Brees. Really, why didn't they win 10 Super Bowls? Marty Schottenheimer deserved better than that. Drew Brees, six foot tall, barely could see it over the offensive line. But if you ever watched him drop back and pass, this first thing is his head shoots up. His arm is cocked higher than most people's arm, and he throws up. And you think, well, that's how you throw it. But he has a delivery that is built for people his size, Russell Wilson size, that sort of guy. That somebody like, uh, you know, somebody like Patrick Mahomes doesn't have, and it's so smooth, it's so fluid that you, he didn't throw very many interceptions, and he was very, very accurate. By the way, around the time that Drew Brees got hurt, and the Chargers drafted Philip Rivers. A man named Nick Saban was the coach for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins almost got Drew Brees. Now, what would have happened if Drew Brees went to the Dolphins? Would Nick Saban have gone to the Crimson Tide and won all those championships? Who knows? It's the what if of the NFL. Again, thank you all for your time. Next week, uh, if, if everything works out, the way I want to. I'm going to have a special guest and we're going to talk about the movie Draft Day and we're going to look at uh, some of our favorite draft moments uh, of all time. I'll see you then. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Details, click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, Here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time. 
as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.